Now, prepare your ear holes as we bring you another great podcast from the Poop Culture Extended Universe. Warning, the following program features content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Bocephus Broadcast. Greetings, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 59 of the Bocephus Broadcast. Glad to be back in the basement with you for another week of shenanigans across the World Wide Web. Welcome officially as well to allergy season. Yes, winter officially ended about three days ago here in the Midwest, and uh, I am already, as to be expected, paying for it. So on top of the typical morning fogginess and grogginess and whatnot, you know, with the uh, congestion and all that stuff, before you kind of get up and rolling for the day, you know, I've got the uh, already got the dry, itchy, scratchy eyes, all that stuff, uh, the scratchy throat, uh, the sinus drainage, you name it, it's already here. And I took, uh, you know, like one of those Claritin things last night to try to prevent this as well so I, I could be i guess theoretically worse off than i currently am but uh still not ideal so here we are for me uh in the peak of sudafed season and i say peak i mean i'm typically using sudafed year round not because i'm making meth just because my sinuses are that just just a complete uh, garbage fire not ideal not ideal at all but i tell you what is ideal uh opening night of infinity war Avengers Infinity War, the latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, went Thursday night to the 7 o'clock showing. I was really on the fence about this, not because I didn't want to see the show, actually the complete opposite of that, but uh, there was, so I had a bunch of, I had some voiceovers that I needed to do uh, Thursday night, and I needed to get them done before I left for the weekend because I wasn't going to be around most of the weekend. So I knew that I had to do those, but I also knew that I really wouldn't have time to go see this movie until like next week, like late in the week or possibly even next Sunday. And I knew by that time people would, you know, I'd have read spoilers and stuff like that. And everybody would have been rubbing it in my face. Oh, it's all Infinity War. It's a great thing. I didn't want to deal with that. So figured, you know, I'll make a late night out of the voiceovers, bite the bullet, try to go to the seven o'clock and hope that it's not too crowded. We made it happen. We showed up at like 6.15, movie was at 7. Still got some good seats. Uh, got to watch the movie with Scotty Vaughn. Legendary Scotty Vaughn, friend of the podcast. Monster bassist over at the uh, the Staggered Band. So we watched with uh, Scotty and his wife. Scotty gave me a, a pretzel and some nacho cheese, which was uh, probably the best thing going at AMC as far as concessions are concerned. Speaking of AMC concessions, though, uh, next week, chat with Robbie Fox from Barstool Sports about Dollar Dogs, his experience peddling Dollar Dogs at AMC back in the day. It's amazing how this podcast all ties together like the MCU itself. But anyway, uh, like I said, on the fence about going opening night, but but uh, very glad I did. Of course, you've got the experience, the added experience of people watching in addition to watching the movie. So the, the chick in front of us, she needed to calm her tits. All right. She was she was a little too excited. Like, I'm excited about this movie. A lot of people are excited about this movie, but this girl was doing the whole uh, arm spasm, uh, putting her hands in front of her face because she's so excited about this happening or this happening. She was doing this shit during the trailers. They showed the Fantastic Beast 2 trailer and she was just, she was losing it. She was all, you know, doing the whole, I don't know how to explain the physicalities of what she was doing, but you know, when, when, uh, excited people kind of put their hands in the praying position or maybe curl their fingers in that hand position and put them kind of midway between 
their collarbone and their chin, maybe over their mouth a little bit. And they're just, they're, they're like shivering them. They're shaking them out of excitement. I don't know. I don't understand what causes it. I don't know how it makes anyone more comfortable, but, uh, I don't know. I I just, I don't like that girl in hindsight. She really, she's still bothering me today, but good for her for being excited. We all get excited about things. I'm just, uh, you know, me being cynical because that's who I am, unfortunately, but I've come to accept it regardless exceptionally enjoyable movie i would expect nothing less from marvel and uh, i guess moreover now disney uh but this uh, infinity war typical marvel in all its wit and just uh, epicness great storytelling great characters great acting just the whole nine yards everything you've come to expect from marvel over the last decade really uh comes to a pinpoint here in infinity war no spoilers but uh nearly three hours long but it flies quickly and it's a lot of fun and it's the culmination of a lot of not necessarily loose ends, but a lot of storytelling that has been uh, uh, interwoven throughout the last decade coming together in a nice little uh, weaved basket. So if you haven't seen it and you're even remotely a fan, even a casual fan, this is uh, it's going to be good. You're going to enjoy this. Hey, also earlier this week, T-shirts, official Bocevis broadcast T-shirts became available on Amazon.com. Thanks very, very, very much. Forever indebted to our pal Trent Lyons. I mentioned getting some uh, some T-shirts made because, you know, T-shirts are kind of like the, a very old-fashioned approach to advertising. You get somebody in your T-shirt, they, they wear it uh, out on the town, or maybe they take it on vacation and wear it. Somebody's like, what's what's your shirt mean? One of the, one of the random people that are actually going to approach you and ask you about what a shirt means. You know, the few and far between. But in the event, somebody does, you know, and somebody's wearing a Bocephus broadcast T-shirt, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a door opening to maybe a new listener. So... You can order the official Bocephus Broadcast t-shirt. Nothing fancy, nothing to write home about. Just has the uh, says the Bocephus Broadcast across the front, as you see it across social media and everywhere else. Guess you could call it the official font of the Bocephus Broadcast. That's Ariel Black, just FYI. Anyway, you can order these, like I said, through Amazon. $19.99. Pretty, pretty standard for an internet t-shirt. Probably, probably cheap. I don't know. I haven't really bought a t-shirt online in quite a while, but... Uh, Wide variety of colors, lots of different colors, uh, and also there are specific fits for men, women, and kids. No pets yet. Working on that. Thinking about that one. So do it too at Lars. These are uh, eligible for prime two-day shipping as well. All you have to do is search Bocephus Broadcast and you'll you'll find them. So get it. And uh, please, by all means, if you get one, take a picture of yourself wearing it and uh, post it on the Bocephus Broadcast Facebook page or, you know, email it to me, bocephusbroadcast at gmail.com. Doesn't matter. Just want to see you in it. Want to see you representing the show. But yes, definitely check it out and order one if you're uh, even remotely interested. Amazon.com, Bocephus Broadcast official t-shirt, $19.99, eligible for prime two-day shipping. Speaking of shipping, ship myself on down to St. Louis this weekend with my boys. A great weekend in St. Louis for uh, Daniel Roth's bachelor party. Of course, Daniel was one. Uh, he was on one of the the Bocephus buddies episodes not not too long ago. Uh, Daniel's getting married actually Saturday, so we went down to St. Louis Friday night. Packed a car full of guys: Daniel's brother, myself, Sean McAvoy, and uh, met Daniel's buddy Christian down there. We went to a Brazilian steakhouse. So essentially, what has happened? What happened over the weekend was I it was like a redux of my trip to Las Vegas on a smaller and more enjoyable scale. 
So we started the evening off with a Brazilian steakhouse, right? Which is the, the thing I, I don't know if I mentioned this about Las Vegas or not, but it, one of the things that I never knew existed, it's kind of like a, a heaven for me, a Brazilian steakhouse. Did one in Vegas for the first time, did it again uh, two nights ago in, in St. Louis. Great concept, wonderful food, but I did learn over the weekend, ladies and gentlemen, too much meat. Too much meat is indeed a very, very real thing. Very real thing. You'd have told me that probably you know, uh, 20, 20 years ago or something like that. I said, you're a fool. You're lying. You're full of it. Not at all. Ladies and gentlemen, I learned this weekend, like, 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 uh, the size of boobs. Yes. Too much is indeed a thing. But yeah, Friday night, Brazilian steakhouse. From there, we went to a place called two plumbers, uh, arcade or arcade and tap room or something like that. Uh, really, we should be calling these places barcades because that's marketing one one Anyway, that was cool. It was like a little micro uh, craft brewery that had a bunch of uh, arcade games, pinball machines, that kind of stuff. So from the barcade, we left uh, We left the barcade at like midnight. Uh, Ameristar Casino was the next stop. And I think uh, I spent a little under $100 to keep Ameristar in business. They didn't thank me. They didn't make me a rich man for it. But, uh, you know, sometimes you do things out of the good of your heart just to feel a little better. So I contributed $100 uh, to keep Ameristar in business for another day. I should have quit while I was ahead. I was ahead about 30, 40 bucks on uh, on roulette. First time playing roulette, by the way. Did the electronic thing because I don't like to deal with people that much. So much easier. Up about thirty dollars at one point. I didn't I didn't know when to say uh, when to say quit. But you know what? I was there to celebrate. I was there to have a good time. Did more gambling in St. Louis than I did in Las Vegas over ten days, which is pretty impressive. What's more impressive though, and I think the rest of the bachelor party would agree, was that there was a bride and groom that were at the casino and she was still in her dress. He was still in her tuxedo. He was gone. Like he was, he was beyond hammered at this point. And it's probably 1231 in the morning by the time that he's sitting at the roulette, you know, round table, whatever you want to call it, where all these electronic roulette machines are. So he's gone. And the wife comes, you know, kind of walking up. She was, I don't think she was anywhere near as inebriated as the groom was. But you can tell that she's not happy that he's, you know, over there blowing a bunch of money on their wedding night at the at the casino and that he's essentially having to be pried away from the electronic roulette machine by her. It's just weird, but I'm imagining the the series of events that happen. I don't think they got married at the casino, but I don't know. I'm not even sure if that's a, a thing, if you can do that or not. But anyway, I'm assuming they got married. They had the reception. The reception ended, and then they're like, well, let's go to the casino, which I don't know why anybody would think that's a good idea unless you're just an absolute millionaire, and you're like, well, let's forget the, the post-reception nookie, and let's go let's go gamble instead. Let's, let's use a different definition of getting lucky on our wedding night, right? Wrong, because I think only about 50% of that twosome was of that same idea. Let's go see how lucky we can get dot 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 at the casino so anyway by the time we left we were standing outside waiting for our uh, our lift to arrive and she was in the lobby with him and she was letting him have an earful and he was trying to suck up to her like a sears shop vac and it was not working so anyway that marriage is off to a great start so congratulations and uh, also uh deepest sincerest apologies to the uh newly married couple because I would guess in about 6 to 12 months, you're going to need those apologies and, and uh, uh, feel sorry for us. So that was the experience at Ameristar. We, we finally went back to the Best Western Plus. Last time I remember looking at the clock was about 3 a.m. At 7 a.m. that very morning, they decided, let's mow the lawn at the Best Western Plus. 
So we're up, we get a nice little continental breakfast, stuff my face full of a couple sausage and egg patties and uh, a few donuts. I don't know what the donuts were, but they were pretty good. I want to say they're like powdered cinnamon donuts or something like that. Really enjoyed those. Nice way to start the morning. Coffee sucked, though. From there, we made our way down to Herman, Missouri. And people speak about Herman. I've heard about this all my life. Heard about this place. Uh, people speak about it like it's um, like the wine country of, of Missouri, like mid-southern Missouri. And I'd say that's probably accurate. Lots of vineyards down there. Lots of wineries. Uh, it's essentially just a town full of drunks, I would guess. And I mean that in the best way possible because there's like... It's like Quincy. There's a bar on every corner, it seems like, and probably one next to it as well. Very cute town, very rustic, very uh, historic kind of vibe going on there, very tourist attraction-y. Think, uh, for those of you listening locally, think Hannibal on a bit smaller scale, perhaps, uh, maybe maybe a little bit more weathered. But our ultimate destination for the day was uh, the Herman Worst House. We took a worst making class, so we were going to make uh, like brats, essentially. So, so you do this class, they walk you through the process. You put them in the the casings or whatever the casings case them, and you 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 know pick out your seasonings and stuff like that. So we, uh, the the bachelor party group, all five of us, we decided we were going to use kind of a, a general seasoning, and we were going to add apple whiskey, bacon, some cheese. I think it was Swiss cheese. I can't quite remember. I think that was it. I think those were our uh, our main ingredients that we ground up in the uh, our mix. So you do all that, and then you you put it in the meat uh, pusher thing, the sausage maker. Put the casing on the end of the thing, and then you just crank her through, and you make your you make your links. We had a 15 year old kid take us to school on how to make these damn links, like he's been doing it his whole life, and I guarantee he has. A little 15 year old fella named Seth, who is definitely going places in the world if he keeps up this kind of work. Because he's a pro. He's a total pro. You know how you watch people make pretzels at Annie Ann's for that little glass? They're always, you know, they roll out the dough and then they just like almost seemingly through magic, they make the little uh, pretzel heart twisty braid thing. This is Seth with Bratwurst, man. Kid knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing. So he put us five morons to shame. But anyway, they they feed you. They feed you a meal midway through this uh, four hour-ish course. So not only do they start by giving you samples at the beginning of the class, then you go in, you make your 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 you know pork, your sausage, you put that all together. You take a break so they can cook your creation, so you can taste test it. You know when you get back from the meal. So they feed you during this meal. You get a couple of brats, you get kraut, you get coleslaw, you get uh, uh, German chocolate sheet cake, which holy shit, incredible! Uh, you get that for dessert. So essentially, this whole day is just about eating and making meat. It's incredible. And it's also the worst thing you could ever do because, like I said, going back to it, there is such a thing as too much meat, and I learned it because of this. But yeah, they give you samples at the beginning. You make it. You take a break. You eat a meal. And then you come back, and then you have to taste test all of the class group's creations. There were three groups in yesterday's session. So after you've been stuffing your face for the last two hours or whatever... You come back and you taste everybody else's stuff. So you just keep eating and eating and eating. They give you samples of their bacon. They give you samples of their summer sausage. Too much meat, ladies and gentlemen. It's a real thing. I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to know it was true, but it is. Too much meat exists. It is a concept that is real. Regardless, a lot of fun. Got to bring home, I think I've got six of our creations, six of our bratwursts uh, in the freezer. 
just kind of just kind of waiting around, waiting to be thrown on the grill. Really nice though to uh, to get away for a little while, spend some some quality time with some quality fellows. That is my kind of bachelor party, like going somewhere and doing something like that, doing some sort of. You know, I'm not about the whole hangover scenario, the whole the hangover concept. You know, the the whole synopsis of that film where you just go to Vegas, you get blackout drunk, you do all the de- de- debaucherous things. Find me a place where we can sit and sip some beers and do some man stuff, you know, and, and not get too out of hand and just, just get away from life for a weekend and relax. You know, that's my kind of bachelor party. And that's, uh, that's what we did this weekend. I think and it was a lot of fun. It's good stuff. Moving on to tonight. It is back on the music trivia grind in Keokuk. Tonight's contest, man, country music trivia is free. <laughs> By the way, the air horn sound effect right there. A big part of this last weekend. A lot of fun. Anyway, yeah. uh, Free music trivia in Keokuk tonight. Nobody else in the area is doing that, but we are because we can, because we're man country. And we do what we want. But on the subject of uh, man country, I think we're long overdue for a new installment of Bo Cephas Buddies. That is on the horizon. I think it's high time for our buddies from man country to return to the podcast. I have also given Scotty Vaughn fair warning that his time is nice, so he might be lumped in with Casey Carr and Corey Samuels on an upcoming Bocephus Buddies episode. High time. High time for that. But speaking of new installments, let's talk about episode 59. This week's episode, this very episode, this is one that I've had tucked away uh, as a feather in my cap for a, a good while now. As a matter of fact, I recorded this interview January 15th, which is a month and two days before the old car accident. And I feel bad for just now getting around to releasing it, but uh, it, better late than never, I suppose. This one was very exciting for me. The subject today, Winnebago Man, and the man behind the subsequent documentary that tells the story of the uh, viral video that went wild, starring Jack Rebney. So the initial Winnebago Man viral video was brought to my attention, I think, in college. So sometime between 2011, 2000, uh, or excuse me, 2007, 2011, became the basis of a lot of one-liners between my friends and I, and still... To this day, we'll use many of these uh, the quotes from this video, but there's a documentary about the viral video, Winnebago Man, directed by a fellow named Ben Steinbauer. He is our guest this week. We're going to hear all about his experience with Jack Rebney, the Winnebago Man, coming up next on episode 59 of the Mosefus Broadcast. The Mosefus Broadcast. Introducing Amazon Basics 42-gallon contractor trash bags. Made of 100% plastic, these commercial-quality bags offer supreme flexibility, dependable strength, and disposable convenience. Unlike thinner garbage bags, this 3-milliliter thick trash bag provides enhanced performance and outstanding strength with minimal chance of tearing or breaking from heavy loads, pointy edges, and sharp objects. The thick material works well for reliably containing building parts, hardware, and other bulky debris. Oh my god! The 42-gallon bag provides a roomy interior that can accommodate a wide range of trash and debris. No need to spend time breaking trash into smaller pieces just so it'll fit inside. Oh, Lord Jesus. This extra large bag holds an impressive amount, which means less time spent closing full bags and opening new ones. Yeah! Amazon Basics 42-gallon contractor trash bags. (laughs) Take your garbage game to the next level. Now, back to the Bocephus Broadcast.
My guest today is a filmmaker whose films have been seen at South by Southwest and on PBS and have won multiple awards. He made a cinematic gem centered around a viral celebrity in Jack Rebney, better known as Winnebago Man, and a documentary by the same name. Super great to welcome him here today, Ben Steinbauer. So glad to have you here. Hello, Bo. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm honored that you wanted to talk. Long-time listener, first-time caller, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no. That's right. Something like that. There you go. First off, uh, thank you for making a film that really became, for myself and my friends in our younger years, kind of the go-to for uh, quotable quotes. I think we worked in a, a Winnebago Man reference probably at every turn that we could uh, in a Jack Rebney quote. Now, it's been almost uh, a decade since you released that film. Tell me tell me how your quest to make this documentary began, and, and for those that don't know, give us a little background on, on the whole Winnebago Man craze. Sure. Well, the way that you intro that, which was that you and your friends have quoted Jack Rebney at every possible turn is, is where my love for the Winnebago Man clip came from. Um, I'm a filmmaker, obviously, and I, I live in Austin, Texas. And, you know, that was one of the first VHS tapes that made the rounds with me and my friends that um, anytime somebody came over who hadn't seen it, we immediately sat him down and made him watch it. And so very quickly, it was a shared vocabulary between me and all my film nerd buddies. And so when we were on sets together, everybody would was quoting, you know, I just, it's not worth it. You know, not this shit. Don't slam the fucking door, you know? And, and so people who weren't in the know wanted to be in the know, and then we would show them the clip. And so it spread very organically through our friend group. And, um, at the time, you know, I've, I've basically always been a documentarian at heart. I, I sort of came into filmmaking from creative writing and, um, I was at the university of Kansas and, and got really enamored with, um, uh, making documentary portraits. <clears throat> and so, um, I've always done that from the moment that I started making films. And, um, when I was, here in Austin discovering Winnebago Man is around the same time that I went back to graduate school. And um, we had to make a film basically every year as part of the curriculum. And um, this was around two, this was, I was there from 2004 to 2007. And so for those of you who don't remember, YouTube hit in 2006. That's Mm -hmm. when it rolled out to the public and became a big deal. And suddenly there were these articles being published about this unwanted type of viral celebrity with people like the star Wars kid, for example, who, uh, you know, were basically being bullied on this kind of, um, unthought of level, uh, through this new technology. And, um, I got really enamored with that idea of being, uh, known for something that you had no control over that you did not want to be known for, mm-hmm. you know? And so, I I got to thinking, how is the star of my favorite viral video handling this? You know, is he potentially embarrassed of this clip? Or maybe he doesn't even know about it. And so I started doing this very cursory research about who Jack Rebney was and how the tape was made. And from there, it really became a sort of like finding Bigfoot type of story <laughs> where every every person I would talk to would just further this mythical legend about this horrific shoot. And and to back up and answer your original question, for those people who are unfamiliar with the, what the Winnebago Man clip even is, it's a three-and-a-half-minute outtake clip of sort of greatest hits of these outtakes of a man 
who is Jack Redney, who's making an industrial commercial for Winnebago RVs. And uh, this is in the late eighties. He looks like Dabney Coleman with like male pattern baldness <laughs> and, you know, like real thin tie and, you know, short sleeve button up. And he's delivering these very flowery lines about the class C motor home. And then he breaks character and just goes, I can't fucking make my mind work. Or, my mind is just a piece of shit this morning. And it's, it's this funny combination of trying to, earnestly sell something and then just this sort of po swearing this like poetic blue streak you know he's <laughs> he's almost like a jazz musician with swear words it's really impressive and hilarious and so the crew essentially was having a horrible time making a film with this guy and just out of sheer uh pathos i think they just left the camera rolling and uh cut together this this blooper reel for their own amusement. But what happened with me and my friends happened with them just, you know, about 15 years earlier, this was like the late eighties, 89. And so suddenly this tape was making the rounds with all of these production companies, you know, and, and uh, that's how I discovered it. In fact, as I worked at a um, post-production facility here in Austin and we got it in the tape room and it was just one of those things that like just film nerds knew about. And, uh, and so, so it spread organically before the internet. And then once uh, YouTube hit in 2006 it suddenly had millions of views and was being referenced in all these different uh pop culture outlets you know on 30 rock and uh different like news magazine shows and things like that and so really my uh, my love as a fan is what led me to go searching for jack redney and then what i find was so fantastic and different than what i was expecting and that's really where the film takes off so what i explained was about the first act of the film and then <laughs> and then from there, we meet Jack Redney, and away we go. Yeah, and you mentioned something very interesting, and in that there's this, um, you know, with the invention of YouTube and it becoming very popular, um, Winnebago Man is, is, you know, that that three and a half minute tape of outtakes is, uh, you know, in every sense of the words, of a viral video, one of the original viral videos, and the effects of that uh paint jack rebney as as kind of this anti-celebrity but the interesting thing is that jack had kind of relocated uh to this remote part of uh i forget what state it was uh, but he's you know pretty much living in the woods not to be bothered so he didn't have really any sort of idea that this was such a huge thing right correct yes and so when when i made contact with him I, this is a little bit of a spoiler because I'm going to recount some of what's in the film, but essentially I had to hire a private investigator to help me track him down. And I got a list of PO box addresses was as close as I could get. And I wrote letters to each one and I received a reply. He, he called me back and you hear the actual voicemail that he left uh, in the film. And so then when I called him back and explained, he then researched and found out about the clip and um his reaction is very i don't want to give too much away unless you're sure, comfortable with sure. the spoilers but it's it's a big part of the film that essentially he he was from a different generation of of uh, media making he was mm -hmm. a, a news producer at cbs uh in the 
sixties and seventies. And he was, this isn't necessarily in the film, but he had a reputation as being a real hard ass, which anybody who sees the <laughs> clip not. will understand. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, um, he, the idea that outtakes even existed from this was sort of anathema to the way he did business. You know, like the, he grew up when you shot everything on 16 millimeter film. And even though they were shooting the Winnebago industrial on video, like it just didn't compute to him that there would even be outtakes from that, uh, from that shoot, let alone that people would upload them to something like YouTube, you know, what, 25 years later and be watching them all over the world. I mean, it was literally as if like a science fiction scenario was coming true (laughs) And he, like you uh, said in your introduction there, he was living as a hermit uh, on top of a mountain in Northern California, purposefully cut off from society. So he wasn't, he had a computer, but he didn't have a TV and he was up there to, to read and reflect and write and, you know, do a sort of all great American, like outdoorsman uh, sort of philosophical uh, thing later in life. And so you can imagine how, uh, somebody like that, how they would respond to this unwanted notoriety. Yeah, it's interesting. It when you when you put it like that, it's like um, you know Jack Rebney's version of Into the Wild, except you know he's not living in a school bus or anything, obviously. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I think many people, myself included, when I watched the film, were somewhat surprised to learn that he's a very scholarly, well-read gentleman very smart guy what were some of the other things that you were kind of surprised to learn about a man who was you know otherwise kind of painted in a very curmudgeonly light well you'll appreciate this he started uh his career in the news um this is the way he tells it i was never able to officially confirm this but he says that he was um doing radio in minnesota which is where he grew up and Eric Severide, the famous contemporary of Edward R. Murrow, was, uh, I think, traveling through and heard him on the air and offered him a job at CBS. And so he went and basically worked under Eric Severide. And before that, he, had, it, he went to the University of Minnesota and he studied theater. So he has, that's where his sort of flowery diction comes from. And he, even when he orders a sandwich or talks to somebody on the phone, you know, like a telemarketer, he, it's as if he's reciting uh, <laughs> pre-written verse, you know, and he just, that's how he, he speaks in his everyday life. And, uh, and so that's what I think makes that Winnebago man clip so endearing is that, you know, if if I got captured swearing at myself, it would be <laughs> horrifying and nobody would want to watch it and everybody would delete that clip immediately. <laughs> but there's just something about Jack's erudite nature and his, his, you know, his career as a performer and also somebody who's uh, used to sort of, you know, high pressure news environments and things like that. Like he just, he's this funny throwback to like a, this old school uh, way of conducting yourself on a film set that, you know, in the late eighties, when you can leave the cameras rolling, I think just, you know, was just in such sharp contrast to 
<laughs> the environment he found himself in. Yeah. But that's really the fun of it. And I think the other thing that is really important to note that I didn't really understand about this clip until I made the film and then we started showing it all over the world to audiences. I think what really stands out about it is that it's it's very different from something like the uh, the Bill O'Reilly meltdown or like that you know that unfortunate message that Alex Bal- Alec Baldwin left for his ex-wife or you know things that are or, or even like the Orson Welles uh, outtakes where he's yelling at the at the crew. Jack in in the in the original outtakes clip is yelling at himself. You know, and he, he does sometimes yell at Tony, the intern, but most of the time, the classic lines and the lines that people quote are largely directed at himself. And there's something that, that is really psychologically interesting about that, where as a viewer, you are rooting for that guy because you're like, we've all been there, you know, uh, we've, we can all relate to letting ourselves down or being frustrated at our own performance and you know, what that leads us to do. And he's phrasing it so eloquently, even though he's so upset that it's just, it, it's like everybody's heart goes out to him and they're empathizing with him immediately, which is the exact opposite of what happens when you hear <laughs> something really vitriolic, like the right. Christian Bale meltdown or, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge dis, uh, uh, distinction. That's fascinating. I, I never, Never would have looked at it that way. Um, we learned in the film that that his vision was failing, and and pretty pretty rapidly and pretty badly, if I recall correctly. How is how is his health now? Do you know? I do know. Um, did you get a chance? I, I, we should have talked about this, I guess, before the interview. But did you get a chance to see? Uh, we made a follow up. Yes, short. I did, and that that's actually the the next thing that I was going to ask you is about um, oh, great. his eighty seventh birthday yeah. surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So before we talk about that, his, he's basically in the exact same, uh, health and situation as when we left him in the movie. Um, this was like you said about 10 years ago. Um, and he was living in a little town, um, uh, on top of Mount Shasta called, um, Oh shoot. I'm blanking on the name. I'll, I'll come back to it in a second, but he, he now, when, when the fires were happening, um, about six or seven years ago, I know they are still happening in Southern California, but there was really bad uh, summer fires six or seven years ago up North. And he, um, he lost his cabin and nearly uh, lost his life. Uh, Luckily his neighbors were close by and were able to help him get out of there. But he basically escaped with just like his toolbox and his dog Buddha. Um, and that was a tough year or two for him because he had to live closer to town and, you know, he really likes to be secluded and far away from as many people as possible. Um, so, uh, but shortly after that year or so transition, he, uh, found a place on the coast of, um, Southern Oregon in this little town called Bandon. And so he, uh, is basically in a very similar situation where he lives on top of this mountain with these beautiful views, which are, which is ironic because he's blind <laughs> right. and can't enjoy the view, but he can hear, hear the geese fly by overhead and not hear any neighbors and, uh, you know, be out in the crisp air. And so he's, uh, he is now 87 and he does not take any medication and he has somebody that you know, buys groceries once a week and cleans his house, I think once a month. And 
other than that, he's able to, to still keep going and, and get by. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable. You know, he, he lost uh, his dog Buddha, I think two years ago now, unfortunately. So Booty's Booty's gone, but he has a new dog that I have yet to meet um, and that a, a friend actually adopted for him oh, and wow. brought up to him. So, uh, so he's, he's still going strong. I mean, he's, I think he's probably going to be dancing on my grave someday. You know, he's going <laughs> to outlive all of us. Maybe he can deliver you eulogy. Like I would pay. I, I mean, I would put that in my will. <laughs> Jack Rebney deliver eulogy. That is a great idea. Thank you. I will. I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the uh, the the surprise video, the follow up uh, on his eighty seventh birthday. There was evidently a chair that was given to him in which another man died. Did I catch that correctly? I'm so glad you, you tuned into that specific moment because that was probably, <laughs> there were lots of funny moments from that shoot, but that was, I think, the most startling. Uh, and I'm not sure it comes across super clear in the film. Uh, but essentially what happened was the guy who is telling that story is the same guy that found him a dog and flew him up. And so for those of you who are familiar with the movie, the Winnebago man feature length doc, but don't know what we're talking about. Um, if you just, if you search, um, uh, extraordinarily unusual is the name of the film, uh, uh, surprising the Winnebago man. And, uh, it's, I, my production company is called the bear and it's on our Vimeo page. It's very easy to find with a simple Google search. Um, and you'll see that, uh, some friends of Jack's and I surprised him on his 87th birthday. And Keith Gordon was involved in this plan. Jack's best friend in the film and, mm-hmm. and uh, what we all refer to as the second banana, <laughs> the, the Jack's <laughs> trusty sidekick. Um, but Keith is a, a, a private jet pilot and he is at the whim of, you know, the owners of these private jets. And he got booked to fly at the last minute and just mm. could not, take the time off. So Keith was not with us, but Mike Steiner is the name of the man in the film who explains that, um, when Jack was living, um, up outside of Chico, uh, in this little town that I'm embarrassed. I can't remember the name of still, (laughs) but he, uh, Jack needed a recliner. And apparently Mike was in the area and driving, uh, up to see Jack. And there was a recliner, by the side of the road and he stopped to inquire about it and was told that an old man had just died in this chair (laughs) and Mike still soldiered on. Yeah. Loaded the chair into the back of his truck and drove it to Jack's house. And Jack proceeded to use that chair for the next few years, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Jack, complaining the whole time that the chair stunk to high heaven, but not doing anything to replace it. Yeah, well, so, you know. when, <laughs> I guess a free chair is a free chair. Pick you your know? battles. <laughs> <laughs> so when we, so part of the uh, surprise of going up to to visit Jack was we all pitched in and we bought him a new Lazy Boy, and so as we're loading the chair in. Uh, Mike tells uh, tells the camera the, that story, and it's so surprising that you're like, "Wait, did he just say?" <laughs> right, <laughs> and it yeah. kind of ha- happens like that. But it was definitely the funniest and weirdest thing <laughs> that uh, that happened on that shoot. <laughs> 
Oh, my goodness. Now, I feel like I already know the answer to this, but has Jack ever considered doing something uh, like this, like a podcast or, or some sort of regular series? Well, interesting that you bring that up because uh, the short answer is yes. And we have been trying to convince him to do something like this uh, since before the film came out. You know, mm-hmm. because one of, the, one of the really interesting things about Jack is that he made this very purposeful decision uh, when he retired to retreat to the mountains and he wanted to read the great works and, you know, write uh, these very important plays and, you know, philosophical uh, treaties on, on what it means to be alive. And, and he, to his extreme credit, as he's uh, uh, lost his vision, has continued to write using a handheld tape recorder. And so oh, wow. he has, he has actually like, you know, written a, a few screenplays and completed a few screenplays, um, which he is all over me to help get produced. Yeah, um, I was going to ask problem, if there was a, a, a reaching out there involved. Well, the problem is that these, these screenplays are, uh, they're less, uh, stories than they are screeds <laughs> about, uh, <laughs> how terrible religion is or how stupid people are. And it's, it just, it's, it's tough. It's tough to read these and get excited about the, about producing them for mm-hmm. me. Um, and he knows, and I'm very honest with him about that. And he knows I feel that way. And so I have over the years tried to convince him to, you know, let's do a podcast. Let's do a, um, you know, we could set it up so that you could do like a video blog, you know, mm-hmm. and you could, you could have people come up to the cabin and you could interview them. And, you know, the problem is I'm in Austin, Texas, and he's, you know, living on the side of a mountain in relative <laughs> seclusion. And so sure. it's not easy for me to collaborate with him. But over right. the years, he's, he's had, you know, people help him you know, get a, get the right kind of tape recorder or try to figure out, you know, how he can easily record files to his computer, but being blind, the combination of being blind and being, you know, in his eighties and just inherently not very technologically savvy has just been a stumbling, a constant stumbling block. And so, you know, about every, we, we talk about every month still, but about mm-hmm. every three months it comes back around to, you know, could we, <laughs> how do we, and, and for, for people who are, who, who want to get a taste of Jack's writing, if you go to uh, winnebagoman.com and go, it's the film's website, you, there's a link on there uh, to one of Jack's self-published books on Amazon called Jousting with the Myth. And it's very much a, it's a, what is it? It's a philosophical uh, exploration of God, religion, sex, and politics. <laughs> so it's very, it's very heady, but you, you almost have to go see this to believe it. Jack is on the cover staring out at the lake uh, that is in front of his old uh, cabin in uh, California. Uh, and he's naked uh, wearing a fisherman's cap and looking at what I think is supposed to be Jesus Christ, who is walking on the water towards him. <laughs> so it's worth it just to go look at the cover. It's it's pretty horrifying, and uh, it didn't. Let's just say it didn't exactly you know fly off the shelves 
there in, in, on Amazon. Uh, but if you're curious <laughs> about Jack's, you know, uh, Jack's writing, that's a great place to start. I would think so. Now, uh, I mean, has he, has, what's your relationship to Jack? I mean, does, has he, when I watch, he strikes me as somebody that I would want to have as a grandfather. I mean, has he become kind of like that, that grandfather to you? How do well, yeah, we sort of jokingly refer to um, the film as like a, com- a cross between Tuesdays with Maury, you know, that book that <laughs> yeah, yeah. came out about a, <laughs> sort of a surrogate grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then uh, something like Shit My Dad Says, you know, where <laughs> he just, it's like super irreverent and, um, you know, it's always entertaining, but it's, uh, it's not always the uh, the easiest message to hear sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. he can be really <laughs> pretty profane, but the truth is that, you know, that, I think that film for both of us was, was just this inadvertent, um, just really special moment. You know, I, it was my, I, I've made, man, probably 10 short films, you know, and I, I make a lot of commercials and I, I direct things constantly, but that's my only feature documentary that I've made up to this point. Um, and I think that's because it just, it was like something bigger happened, you know, and I think we both sort of felt it as it was happening. It, the movie became um, about this notion of unintended celebrity and what it means to be accepted by this kind of younger generation, even though you're, much older and you're trying to sort of check out and you know what it means to take charge of how you want to be known and maybe be okay if that's not how other people think of you and it just you know and and really at the heart of it it's it's like a it's kind of like a buddy story about between me and him because I I represent like a I'm like the surrogate for this younger audience and this younger generation and his frustrations with this the way he's known or the way he thinks the younger generation is laughing at him he uh takes out on me you know and so then it's up to me to sort of make him understand like no people love this clip because they love you you know and once he realizes he has that moment of like oh people really do like me (laughs) you know you see (laughs) you see it on his face and you see him be celebrated and 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 you see uh, you really see him change and and turn and it's wonderful to watch. And I think everybody in their family in some way has that cantankerous relative, you know, be it, a, you know, a great aunt or, a, you know, the drunk uncle mm-hmm. or the, you know, whoever that is in your specific family makeup, but everybody has that guy that you love and is so funny, but it's a total pain in the ass. <laughs> but then you see him soften and it just, it touches so many people. And, and I think I wasn't even aware of that until we started screening the film and people would, they would laugh the whole movie and then they would cry at the end and then they would laugh again during the outtakes and the credits and people would stay for hours after screenings, you know, and I mean, we're talking 50 to a hundred people and want to either talk to me or definitely when Jack came to screenings, people just lined up for blocks to talk to. I mean, it was, it was really amazing how it struck this cultural nerve. And we, um, you know, we traveled all over the world with that film. I mean, I went to Australia, New Zealand, all over Western Europe, Canada, a little bit in South America. And it just played like gangbusters everywhere 
we took it. Um, and for, and I would, Jack, Jack came to like the LA, well, he came to the premiere here in Austin at South by, and then he came to the New York premiere when Michael Moore introduced the film. And then we flew to LA and did the tonight show with Jay Leno. And for a guy in his, you know, at that time, early, well, I guess he was just about 80 years old then late, late seventies for him to come out of retirement and be celebrated like this, I think was just so inconceivable. And it really, it really bonded us, you know, and he, he would cry at these screenings and, you know, he still tells me he loves me every time we mm. hang up the phone. And I mean, so it, it, it's funny. He became this sort of grandfather. I never really wanted, <laughs> <laughs> but you, it sounds to me like you became the olive branch for him from, you know, society, from, from humanity, from something he otherwise uh, purposely made it a point to get away from. Yes. Yes. I think that's true. And I did not intend to do that. You know, I, that's, I, I purely came at it from, I'm a fan of this clip and I wonder how this guy feels about it. And, you know, let's turn the cameras on and go have an adventure. And what I found just got so every step of the way just got stranger and more interesting. And, um, and, you know, and, and also it wasn't a rosy picture the whole time. It was really difficult, you know, like when we're specifically that second trip, that's kind of, featured like the middle of the movie that was really hard i mean he did not want to be interviewed about his family he didn't want to talk about his backstory he wanted to rant about dick cheney and you know he was afraid (laughs) that the world was going to hell on a handbasket and he couldn't and he was not about to let me divert from what he wanted to talk about and so you when when he is berating me and we're fighting that went on for three or four days, you know, wow. and that was really stressful and really tough. And it did end with him being like, get the fuck out, you know? And it's, I don't know if you've, you know, ever spent a day in a cramped hermit's cabin with him just <laughs> shouting at you all day, but it takes a toll. You it's know? been a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to remind you it's, it's rough. And there were times when I thought for sure the movie was over and I didn't know how it was going to end. And, but it was just this, I don't know. It's funny when you make documentaries, you know, I've heard musicians describe this too. It's like some, sometimes these like imperfections happen or these mysterious things occur that just make it so much better than you could have ever conceived. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely what happened. You know, I thought, I thought I was going to make this kind of, you know, sweet little film about this guy that, you know, would love to find out that he's a celebrity later in life. And that it went a lot darker and weirder than that, but it ended up being much uh, sweeter. And I, I think, you know, more people saw it than I ever imagined would. Well, what came out on the other side is, is uh, easily one of my favorite films of all time. I, I remember you know, having this big to do about it, you know, we had seen the clip in high school and, and my buddies and I would get together every Thursday night and we'd, you know, we'd cook a meal for each other and we'd watch a movie. And, um, you know, the, the feature one night was Winnebago Man. And that was the one easily hands down that I remember the most. So, so thank you for, uh, for making that film and for, for shedding light on a guy that, uh, that uh, otherwise probably would have just kind of faded into the background into obscurity. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you. Like I, you know, I, I came at it from that same level of enthusiasm and love for this clip, you know? And, um, so yeah, I, it's so gratifying, uh, for me to hear that it connects with people, you know, cause that's why I make movies too. You know, I have all those films like American movie, you know, that I saw back in the day or Alan Berliner's nobody's business or like Les Blank's early films where I just like, they just, they opened my eyes in this new way. Errol Morris's, um, uh, gates of heaven, you know, where it was just like, Whoa, what you, like, I didn't, I didn't even know films could do that or look like that. Or how does this even exist? You know? Yeah. And I think that, yeah. So I, that means the, the world to me to hear that you like the movie. So thank oh, yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to switch gears and talk about you for a little bit. You mentioned that you've kind of been a documentarian pretty much your entire life or have always kind of, um, you know, looked at subjects from that perspective. Um, so, I mean, what what do you consider, is Winnebago Man your opus thus far? I mean, I know you've done a lot of other projects. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, pick a favorite child now. Wow. That's, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think... Uh, I think it would have to be Winnebago man. I mean, there's, yeah. there's just, like I was saying before, it just, it was, it was touched by something, uh, that was, that was just magical. But I think, I think that's in a way doing disservice to all the other films I've made too. Um, because I, when the, the really good ones, the ones that I remember and that like strike a chord with people are always, always, always are, in some way feature, um, uh, I, here, let me, let me start this over. It, the ones that, that are worth remembering and that I think are really resonate are, um, the ones where I, I had some personal hardships involved with making them. And, uh, most of the films have that in the background, but the, the one that is just an immediate example, um, is, uh, a film that we did for a company, called Yeti Coolers, which is based here in Austin. And they do a lot of uh, branded content and do these kind of um, documentary portraits of these people that, uh, who they call ambassadors that they sponsor and um, that they think exemplify their brands. And so it's essentially a, it's a long form commercial in a way, but this project was unique in that really they came to us and they just said, we want to make a documentary about this woman. She's, you know, something of a public figure. Most people know her story, but we want you guys to come at it in a new way and go make this film. And and so her name is Tootsie Tominance, and she is a barbecue pit master um, in this little tiny town of Lexington, Texas, at a place called Snow's Barbecue. And, you know, this place is like essentially the size of like a double wide trailer with these big <laughs> smokers in the back. And it's got some picnic tables out front and uh, it's down the street from a cattle auction. And it's only open one day a week for these cattlemen when they come in to, you know, buy or sell their, their herd to go down the street and eat. And Tootsie uh, is in her eighties, just like Jack Redney. And she has been uh, working at a barbecue restaurant of some kind or a meat market her entire life. So we're talking about going on wow. like 60 years mm -hmm. of, barbecuing right and so um we go meet her and she is tough as nails she can <laughs> still throw like a side of beef over her shoulder oh wow and she is she's also the custodian at the local high school 
five days a week. Wow. And does things like, you know, cut brush and haul garbage and load <laughs> ice into the ice. I mean, she's like a workhorse and she's 83 years. She's like a grandmother, Holy which cow. is amazing. Just like yeah. the visual contrast of that is so fun, right? <laughs> Just right off the bat. Um, but so we go down and we're doing, you know, a sort of pre-production. I'm meeting her. I'm watching her cook. I'm watching her work. We're kind of planning out, you know, a schedule, what we can film, what would be interesting to ask her, who the people in her life are to interview. And, um, and so then we, uh, we start filming and the first day we're filming first day of like, I think three, uh, we're halfway into the day and we're with her at school and filming her doing her custodian work. And she gets a call that her son who, uh, is, is essentially in assisted living at this point, cause he has a brain tumor, mm. um, uh, just had some complications and needed to be rushed to the emergency room in, in Austin. And this is like, we're over an hour away from Austin. So she rips off her wireless mic and jumps in her truck and speeds off. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that we're done for the day. I, I mean, we're that end of the sure. shoot, of course. And so we drive back to Austin and I call her that night and I did, I'm checking on her and she's in tears and none of her family could come with her. And she only had the clothes on her back. And so, uh, her son was basically in intensive care for like the next week. And so mm -hmm. the next week I just, I took her clothes and I went by every afternoon and had lunch with her and just kind of sat there with her. And, you know, this tough as nails woman I saw at her most vulnerable, you know, mm -hmm. and she would hug me and she would cry and she would thank me. And, and I, I don't, I, I realize that maybe some people listening sound like would, would hear this as like, I'm tooting my own horn and I'm not at all. No, no, I think no, anybody no, no. would do this, would do this in this situation. But what I mean by telling the story is that like that, that bonded us in this way that was super unique. I mean, it was really, it was unexpected. You know, there was no way that could have ever been planned of course. Yeah. And so I think the fact that, um, that just circumstantially that happened the sun pulled through and was okay and got better. And so then we started filming again about a month later. And then there was just something magical about that. Like it just, it came together so well. And she was so excited that we were making the film on her and it just, it had that magic to it again, where it was just like, we, we love each other. We trust each other. This is going to be good. And she just totally, opened up and her friends opened up and it, it, and it's, you know, even though it's a commercial ultimately for Yeti coolers, it's one of the ones that I'm the most proud of. And I still, to this day have, you know, I'll drive out there and have barbecue every once in a while, or I'll call her and, and she'll tell me she loves me. And, you know, it's like that. <laughs> I don't know what it is about me and 80 year old, you know, <laughs> bonding, but it's, uh, that's, that's happened to me again with that, with that one. And that's, yeah. that's one that I just, I hold real dear. So, uh, that one's easy to find if you just Google search Yeti and Tootsie T O O T S I. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm a little jealous of, of your career path because it sounds to me like you're, um, you know, you're very much living out your dream and there's, there's this whole, um, very gravitational poignancy to what you're doing and the people that you're connecting with. Um, that's, that's extraordinary. That's awesome. And, and I'm super, uh, super happy for you. Do you, um, do you have anything that you're super 
excited about that you're working on down the line? I do, of course. I always have, you know, well, I mean, let me address what you just said, because thank you for saying that. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that that's, uh, <laughs> that's how it seems from the outside, because it's so nice to hear that. And I, and I am getting to do what I love, and I'm super lucky and grateful, and it's nice to be reminded of that. Um, but, at the, but at the same time, I, you know, privately feel like I wish I would have made a follow-up to Winnebago Man by this point. And even though I own my own production company and, you know, get to work with my friends and make things I'm proud of, I, I think everybody feels that way. You know, I wish I could have done more. And I feel like I wish I had my second feature already in the can. And um, so, you know, I think... I think it's important to hear that like all, all artists, I think on some level are constantly frustrated and wishing they had it just a little bit better or wishing they had sure. to do another big project or something. And I'm certainly uh, in, in that camp, but um, so I'm always, I, I've basically been working on a follow-up ever since Winnebago man came out and it's kind of been like a comedy of errors. You know, mm-hmm. we, my business partner and I tried to make a, a documentary right as Winnebago Man was coming out about um, this famous French con man named Frederic Bourdain. And uh, he's known as the chameleon. And we contacted him and arranged to buy his life rights. And then he conned us out of our advance. Oh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then he sold his rights to this other production company and they made a film that is really great called The Imposter about him. And if you haven't seen that documentary, you really should. It's very, very good. Writing it down. Um, And then after that, I tried to make a documentary about uh, the CEO of American Apparel. Dove Charney is his name. And it was before American Apparel folded. And it was basically going to follow him as uh, he was about to go public and have a, um, a board of directors that he had to answer to. And this was right as he was getting sued and but also doing all this interesting stuff in LA where he was running a totally green factory way ahead of its time and, you know, being really good to his immigrant population and help or his workers and helping them get green cards. And um, so, and, and we almost got access to him to do that. Like he, we got him a treatment and he almost said yes, but then we couldn't ultimately close the deal. I tried to make a documentary on John prime and talk to his manager for, about three months, uh, and that didn't ever happen. So I've I've had a series of near misses and <laughs> heartbreaks kind of ever since. Yeah. Um, but the the most recent one that I'm really excited about, and this is just happening, so hopefully this will go through. But um, my friends who are in Winnebago, man, the, uh, Joe and Nick, who do the Found Footage Festival, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have over the last few years been doing these really hilarious pranks where they um go on they they get booked on uh, small market uh morning news shows as these fictitious characters and so one was uh, a yo-yo expert who does not know how to yo-yo at all one is a um, is a celebrity chef who who basically shows you how to have fun with your leftovers in <laughs> this ridiculous <laughs> way. And then uh, the most recent one is uh, a strongman duo called Chop and Steel. And they are not strongmen at all. <laughs> and they do this hilarious set of exercises, you know. So the joke is really on the station and on these, you know, hapless newscasters. Um, and and they show these at their show and it's, you know, it's it's 
total just satire and funny, but this one conglomerate based out of Atlanta called gray television, um, uh, is suing them aggressively in federal court right now for fraud for doing this. And, um, and so I'm filming the court proceedings and, um, and they're, they may take it to jury trial even. Wow. Um, and then also kind of, but, but what's interesting about that is that if gray television wouldn't have ever like made an issue out of this, they would not have, you know, drawn near the amount of publicity to Joe and Nick. And so as a result, like they've been in GQ and vice and, um, you know, all these, all these like big articles, they were on Tosh.0 uh, because they are getting sued for doing it. So it becomes a sort of interesting argument about, you know, free speech and, uh, and, you know, satire and the nature of that. But also they're still, they're basically developing other characters and planning to continue to do this. <laughs> uh, and so, and I just love that idea, you know, so that's, that's the most recent um, doc project that we're, running around chasing i hope that gets off the ground you mentioned uh you mentioned john prine and prior to this conversation we were talking about uh music and and you being a fan of music and things like that um so i mean what what aside from film what what else are you into what 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 makes ben steinbauer operate what makes you tick oh man that's a great question open-ended but i great question (laughs) i well so i'm standing right now in uh in my house here in austin and i've i'm looking at i probably have a few i'd say i have probably about two thousand records you got me beat by I, a long so shot I'm, oh really how many oh, do you yeah. have oh uh very dismal very very dismal uh probably a couple hundred maybe so you're you're uh you're a good country mile ahead of me <laughs> <laughs> well but it's not the uh the quantity as much as it is the quality that's right, right. there uh, we go that's the approach i'm taking yeah. right there yeah. So I, so I love music and I love music documentaries. Oh my God. There's maybe nothing better than a, a really great music doc because I love the story behind, mm-hmm. you know, how, how music uh, gets made, but also how it gets lost and how it's interpreted. And I just such a fan of um, discovering something old that I never knew about that just suddenly makes me think about music in a whole new way. Um, so that's a really big one for me. And I love cooking. So like I, most nights I'm here listening to records and making something in the kitchen. And then my girlfriend and I are watching, uh, a documentary most times, uh, <laughs> while we eat. And, uh, so I would say that. And then I have, um, I have a, you know, production company, uh, with my best friends from grad school that we've had for almost 11 years. And, um, you know, I, I feel really lucky to get to work with people I love to, you know, make things that I care about. And, um, got a little dog named Tater Tot, (laughs) 13 years old. Um, yeah. So I think it's, you know, I, Oh, and I, I guess I would be remiss if I didn't mention, um, that I play on the Sandlot baseball team here in Austin called the Texas Playboys. And, uh, it's like, you know, wood bat, wool jerseys you know like baseball baseball and uh it's really really fun and you know at 40 years old the fact that i can still go out and like play a game that i loved as a as a kid is pretty is pretty cool 
So, what are the? Uh, have you so, ever yeah. overheated in that wool jersey? That sounds. That I mean, it sounds fun, but it sounds simultaneously awful. Well, I don't know whose idea it was to yeah <laughs> play a sport in the summer and cover yourself in, in Texas. wool. Yeah, in Texas, but some genius thought that that's actually it, it's supposed to be a very breathable fabric. Is how it was pitched to us, and it's. It's a, uh, it wicks sweat naturally. And that may have been true, you know, around the civil war, but it's, uh, <laughs> it gets really brutal. So we have just this season switched over to, uh, a more breathable, sensible cotton jersey. <laughs> and we're all very excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. Oh, and I do a lot of yoga. I, I do a lot of yoga too. I have to throw that in there. Yoga and meditation have really helped me a lot in my, uh, getting older and being focused and, and uh, just kind of, you know, not not melting down a la Jack Redney <laughs> under <laughs> stressful situations. Sure. Makes sense. Ben Steinbauer, what a, what a delight. If folks want to follow you or your projects on social media or anywhere, where can they do that? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm not much of a, of a uh, presence on Twitter, although you can follow me at Ben Steinbauer, uh, but mainly uh, my Instagram, which is also at Ben Steinbauer, or follow our production company at thebear.us. There you go. If uh, listeners want to see your work like, like Winnebago Man, where can they find that? That's the place to do it, thebear.us, and you'll see trailers for um, a whole bunch of shorts. Um, I'm so bummed i didn't get to mention a lot of them because they're you can find them all at the bear and then that'll link you also to our vimeo page where you can find even more you can really dig into the back catalog if you want to there you go sounds like a good weekend plan ben steinbauer this was this was uh true fun this was awesome uh and and hopefully you'll come back down the line this was uh, a real delight appreciate your time today i know i kept you way over what i initially quoted you but uh, uh great conversation really appreciate it thank you so much thank thank you bo i really had a great time and keep up the great work man you're listening to the bo cephas broadcast Grilling season will be here before you know it. This year, choose Kingsford Charcoal Briquettes for unmatched quality and impeccable flavor that'll have the whole neighborhood talking and flocking. Here's what Kingsford users are saying about Kingsford Charcoal Briquettes' Easy Light Bag. Worked great after Hurricane Irma knocked out power. It's convenient, but not my favorite option. Save your money. Well, it worked okay, but it wasn't clear from the instructions how to open the flap properly. Grilling season kicks off with Kingsford. Now, back to the Bocephus broadcast. That, I believe, is going to wrap things up for episode 59 of the Bocephus broadcast. A big thank you once again to Ben Steinbauer. The documentary is called Winnebago Man. And be sure you check it out if you haven't already done so. And also be sure to check out the original viral video because that's kind of an integral part of this whole story. But you don't need to have seen it necessarily to see the documentary. But I encourage it. Don't forget, please take a moment wherever you're listening to leave a review of the Bocephus broadcast. Whether you're listening on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, blah, 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 blah. Take a moment, leave a review. It helps a lot, all right? Follow along on social media, facebook.com slash Bocephus broadcast. Give us a like. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BoBCraft. As always, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, home remedies for these terrible allergies. Shoot an email to bocephusbroadcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, please utilize the hotline. 872-222-8610 is the official Bocephus Broadcast hotline. Let it ring through. Our new secretary, Janice, will be happy to direct your call to our voicemail. Leave your message, and uh, it could be featured 
more than likely will be featured in an upcoming episode. 872-222-8610. And I am so excited to say this last one. Buy the t-shirt, the official Bocephus Broadcast t-shirt, available on Amazon.com. If you don't have Prime these days, what are you doing with your life and why are you so behind the rest of civilization? The official Bocephus Broadcast t-shirt, available on Amazon right now for $19.99. Buy one. Help me pay my medical bills. Tune in next week for episode 60 when we are joined by Robbie Fox of Barstool Sports, one of the cornerstones of the East Coast operation. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, including his hot dog slinging days at AMC theaters. But more importantly, we're going to talk a lot about professional wrestling. Robbie is uh, he's 19, but man, the guy's like an encyclopedia of professional wrestling. We had a great chat last week and uh, very much looking forward to that episode rolling out. So episode 60 with Robbie Fox of Barstool Sports coming at you next week right here on the Bocephus Broadcast. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Bocephus Broadcast. What you just heard was a podcast in the Poop Culture Extended Universe. For more great podcasts, make your way to www.poopculture.com.